All right, you'll notice it's a fairly long text today, so let's get to it. Um, we're going to be moving on past this text uh, in, the, in the weeks to come, but I, I felt there was, there were, there's still a couple more sermons I can squeeze out of this. And um, mostly because I, 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 pastorally, this happens to me frequently, as I'm kind of, something will grip my heart, something will really, really affect me in, in, in the, in the, in, in the uh, text and in my understanding of how it's affecting me. Okay, so um, I've, been, I've been excited about the narrative structures. Somebody asked, somebody, a guest, I was a lit major in, co in college, and they were right. And so uh, I've been doing what's a really a literary analysis of the text, and one of the things we've noticed is there has been a series of twos. And these series of twos have been Mark's attempt, Mark's attempt to prove a particular thesis that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Mark 1, verse 1. And this thesis, as he's attempted to prove it, um, he has used some very, very grandiose, very, very powerful pictures. Christ is the Lord of the storm. He's the Lord of death and life. He, and those, are, those would have been very comfortable to a Greek audience because they, they would have addressed very directly um, Greek ideas about a divinity. Greeks were very comfortable with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, uh, with a divine human. And it would have established it fairly clearly and accurately and easily for them to understand it. What is a divine person able to do? A divine human, he can control weather, he can control life and death. He, and so all those things happened. But, Greek, but Mark's audience is not merely, not merely Greek. It's also Jewish. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, it's also Jewish is my point. And so these, this series in chapter 7 through chapter 8, culminating with what's going to happen today, when Peter says that he is the Christ, he makes the claim that Jesus is the Christ, that is a Jewish title, the, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Now, this chapter, these last couple chapters, have been obsessed, interested, in Jewish ways of proving that Jesus is this person. Jewish ideas. And one of the key one is Jesus feeds his people. And that's exactly, that's one of the primary Exodus motifs. Jesus feeds his people like God fed his people in the wilderness with manna. And so um, now, I want to address those who might be skeptics who don't believe. Uh, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with that, with your unbelief. Don't, don't be dismayed by it. I want, you to, I want you to engage this. You can engage this merely as a literary exercise at this point, and I hope it will be more at some point later. But uh, if you don't want to agree with the Christian claims about Jesus Christ, at least understand what you don't agree with. Right? At least understand what you don't agree with and, and don't agree with it freely. And, and, so, and so, but engage the, engage, engage the arguments properly. So... Um, uh, so anyway, this now today, um, Mark's arrangement of material is not merely, it also has motifs. Motifs. And the motif here is going to be blindness. There's a reason in the arrangement of the, of the material that there is a story of healing somebody who's blind. 
because a lot of people are blind in this text and not merely physically. In fact, I would venture to say everybody seems blind. This is the second of the feedings, and you'll see blindness almost immediately, I think. This is the second time. It was 5,000 before. Listen and see. Listen and perhaps you'll be able to perceive as we go along to how fundamentally uh, Christ is constantly being misunderstood, not apprehended, not, not perceived uh, as, as is who he truly is. Uh, let's begin here with this little uh, answer and response. How does Christ tell us we should listen to God's word? In those days, when again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, one, one commentator said this almost seems psychologically impossible. Um, I would say to him, if you've been a pastor for any length of time, you would totally believe it. Uh, people's spiritual blindness is, in, is incredible. The disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It seems like maybe they've thought maybe because it's more remote, Jesus can't quite do the same thing he did before. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they, they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them. Every time Christ eats, by the way, he always gives thanks. And gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd, and they had a, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they were ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, and seven baskets full there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Is that a boulder marker that you put up here? Thank you. Immediately he got into the boat, and his disciples went to the district of Dalmanutha, and the Pharisees came. Now notice they, they weren't there for this miracle that just happened. Uh, they're not interested in engagement. They're in, uh, uh, with his actual ministry. They just begin to argue with him, seeking from him, a sign from heaven to test him. You know, that's how they've kind of swept in here. But again, what else is this? This is blindness again. And, uh, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. Now, that word there is one of the most intense expressions of emotional regret in his life that he has. It says he sighed when he, when he had to deal with the, the deaf mute in the, pre, in, the, in, the, uh, in the previous chapters. And now he sighs again. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. He got into the boat and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact 
that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? All right, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? I can imagine this is a little awkward. And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. All right, if this problem is real, and as real as I, I, I believe it to be, we need to pray now for God to speak. Father, um, Father, uh, I ask, uh, I, I first I bring to you my own blindness, my own lack of perception, my own quickness to forget what I, the provision I've seen, the abundance, the power, your love and your compassion, and not trust them. And Father, as I come to a text like this, uh, and I come to it and I realize that how much I need you to touch my eyes, touch the eyes of my heart, but I'm not the only one. And, there, and together, we have, as a community, sometimes we have been blind. Each one of us has experienced that inability to perceive your, your works, to remember your provisions, and to trust in your love, to trust your motives. So, Father, just guide us, in, guide us into this text. Touch us and uh, open the eyes of the blind. Open the eyes of the spiritually blind to new life. I pray that in Christ. Amen. Uh, so, the inbreaking of Christ in space and time here. Can you see it? Can you perceive it? Is this the marker that's brighter? That's better, yeah. 
Can you perceive it? Can you see it? Uh, do you hear Christ's uh, burning kind of frustration? Do you hear it? He's like, and we, were, we looked at this before, the emotional life of Christ is so rich, it's so wonderful. And it's meant in a lot of ways to uh, counter any kind of abstract idea we have of Jesus, any abstract idea of Jesus as God that, uh, and, and that prevents him from having an emotive presence, that prevents him from having a rich emotional content. Uh, sometimes our ideas about Christ are very... Uh, are very uh, uh, inadequate. Uh, they, they tend to be, we, we, we put up like straw men. Uh, we, we bake a straw Jesus. And, 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 it, and the straw Jesus, uh, uh, the scarecrow, he doesn't have a heart. Or he doesn't, you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't have an emotional presence with us. And he doesn't, he doesn't live that way. And so, uh, the, and so in this inbreaking of Christ into space and time that's supposed to happen here, and the inbreaking of, of, eternal, of an eternal presence is, is first an in, okay, why don't you use the one that you, not helpful, is the inbreaking, an inbreaking of Christ in the space and time is an inbreaking of, of compassion. And that is where we'll begin is what, what is invisible to the disciples and seems invisible to, and is invisible to the spiritual leaders that I'm always very sensitive about. Uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes not understanding because they're the religious professionals. And now, I'm a religious professional. So there's a necessary and, and immediate indictment of me. That's supposed to be aimed at me and, and people who think they know things. And so, uh, that, and, and, and the first thing, first thing we, that I seem, we seem to not understand or not perceive uh, is the inbreaking of, of compassion that's, uh, that, that, that language, what's that language? It's used there in, in, early in the text, and it's the first thing that's not perceived by anybody, and it's verse two, the reality of his, his and the immediate awareness of his, of his compassion, to feel with and for and abundantly. Now, this is uh, an engagement that Christ is making, and the word there is twisted in your bowels, twisted up in your guts. Uh, one of the weaknesses I've experienced over the years as a minister of the gospel is uh, I, I, I found myself sometimes resenting having to feel what other people are feeling. And I was like, you know, I just don't want to feel, you know, people will often want to bring me problems or crises of their lives or crises in their marriage or crises in their personal faith. And I'm like, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to. And uh, I, the, the availability of the divine, of the Son of God, the God-man, to feel with and for and into your, your situation is just glorious. There's an idea that, uh, of, the, uh, of the inbreaking here of this, of this idea. His divinity does not in any way remove him from emotionally being emotionally available. <laughs> I, you know, I learned my emotional unavailability from my dad. <laughs> I learned how to be emotionally unavailable because I learned how to live without somebody who's emotionally unavailable. Can I get an amen? Has anybody else experienced this with their father? Uh, so, you know, I, and I learned this, but not this father, <laughs> not this savior, not this Lord. 
And, and, and so there's a marriage here of, of his, um, um, uh, omnipot- of his um, um, omniscience, of his awareness and his knowledge of, of the experience of his people. And it's married with a, a, a desire, a, a feeling with of compassion. What's happening here? This compassion, this feeling with is mapping out, as I told you before, is mapping out a road to the cross. It's a mapping out a road to, uh, of self-sacrifice an identification with us. He doesn't merely feel with you, Brad. He says, I will die for you. <laughs> I will die in your place. There's, a, there's this, he, the, the emotion, the emotional content of the eternal son drives him to self-sacrificing love where his blood is poured out for sinners and is available because he not only saw that we were hungry, that we, need, we needed clothing, we needed jobs, we needed work, but that we needed rescue. We needed cleansing. We needed new hearts. We needed new lives. And that compassion for merely their hunger and their, and their isolation in a remote place is just a little picture of a part of his whole, a whole of his love, right? And he knows, he is aware, and he has moved towards us in love. He has felt with us. He has bowels of compassion. And those, that, that empathetic sympathetic, compassionate heart takes him to the cross, through the cross, the resurrection of the dead. Trust the motives of God. Trust them. They are being described for you. Look how invisible they are to these people. All right, it's not, uh, we're going to look more at that in just a minute. But, that's, uh, but, the, but, but it, it's, 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 it's one thing for Christ to be, to be, to be, to be compassionate. I, I meet a lot of compassionate people uh, and who either don't do much or can't do much, right? Uh, if, if, you felt that, right? And even your own, you're like, oh, I feel bad. You look at somebody on the street or you, or you see something, you notice about somebody's situation in their life or their marriage or their family, and, and you feel it and you, you have compassion. But really, you know, there's really not a whole lot you can do about it. And you could feel a bit powerless because the next part that seems so invisible is not, not the inbreaking of an eternal, the inbreaking, inbreaking here, the, and this is the claim about the Son of God, the inbreaking in space and time uh, of, uh, of the divine uh, with compassion, but it's the inbreaking of power. And what is this power? Jesus. Jesus plus zero equals all, or results in all things. And there, there's a picture here. It, 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 it's a picture from Genesis 1.1. In, in the beginning, when there's nothing, there's creation out of nothing, it, it's always the way, it's always the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the posture, and it's the place of the revelation of an eternal power. God, Christ comes to multiply that which isn't there. To take what's not there and make it so. And, this, and, and, so, it, and so it's a marriage of a compassionate love with an eternal, creating, absolute power. And so uh, the, the thesis that's been running, the thesis that's been moving, is this idea that Jesus plus nothing equals all things. It, 
I didn't include it because the text would have gotten too long. It's already long enough here reading this, but there's, there is a hero in these chapters. There's one hero in these chapters. There is one hero who arises in these chapters whose stature is amazing. And it's not a religious figure. It's not a disciple. It's not a scribe. It's not a Pharisee. It's nobody who should know. It's a woman from Syria. Not even a Jew. And a woman who comes alone, which means she doesn't have a man, which means she's just a tramp. That's the cultural norm. And she's the only one that Christ says in the whole of the New Testament, oh, what great faith. Because she realizes she's zero. And he tells her, her daughter has been healed. And, and, and she, she is the relief. And that's one of the, part of the problem with teaching us about the narrative is these, these Markan narratives have a wonderful, wonderful construction to them. And, and a wonderful kind of uh, 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 complexity. And so all of these people are coming, even the disciples themselves, even when, you know, even, even, even Peter, he gets it, and then as soon as he gets it, what happens? It slips away. It's like, he gets it for a minute, and the minute he gets some truth, and boy, that's just like, he's, like, he's like a seminary student. The minute he gets a little truth, it's, he somehow messes it up. Turns it into something it's not. But then the woman who has nothing and then admits she has nothing when Jesus Christ tells her she has nothing. And it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those harsh uh, sayings in the New Testament that unsettles people deeply where he tells her that he can't share with the dogs what's for the children. You don't feed the dogs first. You feed the children. I don't feed my, the dogs. I feed the kids. And she says, yeah, but haven't you ever seen dogs at the table? They sit there. Dogs always do this, do they? Dogs are well-trained by children. They sit, and they know children do what? Throw food. Drop food. And she said, I'm, I'll sit there. I'll be there. That's fine. Give me the crumbs. And she finally enters zero and acknowledges his power and realizes that her absolutely having no inheritance, no possibility, and no potential in the kingdom, it still doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, because Jesus plus zero. Jesus plus zero. And that zero, that zero is the, is the heart of faith that believes in him alone, and not in itself, in its own power, and trusts in the cross, and not in your own ability to save yourself, and surrenders to him, and seeks from him all of its sustenance, and all of its hope, and she's the hero. And she's the outsider. Amen. Come on in. And let's give up spiritual blindness. I, uh, what's the text supposed to do with like this? What, what, what are we supposed to do with this kind of... The way Christ is, seems so invisible to them. Well, first, I think, first, one of the things that I, we notice in the text here is, is um, don't be discouraged. Look, I, you know, maybe there's a, there's a moment when you seem to get it. You ever, have you ever had this happen? You seem to get it. You're there, you're, you're listening to me talk or some pastor or preacher, and you're like, 
yeah, I really believe. And then, and then you got a memo from work that something you had done was late or you hadn't done it right, and your, your mouth's full of cursing and bitterness, and you're on the phone complaining to somebody else, and you have forgotten every precious moment you had with Jesus. Anybody else had this experience? Yeah, it's constant in our lives. You know, it's, it's funny to me that we, you, you, could be, you could be one hour outside of church and be the meanest driver on the road, couldn't you? Has anybody else ever done this? You could, you mean we could do this. Maybe it's only 15 minutes for some of you. For me, it's about five minutes. What's, what's, what's the hint? What's the clue? What's the... God knows our spiritual... He knows, he knows it. Jesus knows it. He experienced it personally. He knows. He's, he's not surprised, Trevor, that you did it again. Yeah. He's not surprised, my brothers. He, John, he's not surprised you forgot. Because his own friends forgot. They witnessed miracles in their hands. It's a wonderful thing, too. Uh, Jesus breaks the bread and he hands it to them. And the miracle happens in their hands. It's really kind of very vivid, right? Uh, how many of you have seen like a miracle happen in your hand? I still I forgot. Put it this way. Spiritual, I've noticed this over my life. I'm, we're going to, I'm going to the beach in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. But um, I remember as a kid, you know, writing something on the sand, you know. And sometimes I feel like even as a pastor, when I'm preaching, I'm writing on sand. Because no longer will a wave of adversity or frustration or, or, or entertainment or something come along. And what will it do to, the, to what, everything you heard today? Wash it away. Uh, we, we need to be a people that learn how, learn how to remember and learn how to notice our spiritual. And this is what, what I'm hoping today will kind of be a help to you. Notice your spiritual blindness. Notice it. I mean, no, notice it. In other words, become a, I'm, I'm asking you to, do, to engage in some metacognition about your spirituality. I'm asking you to think about your thinking. I'm asking you to look at your doubt. I'm asking you to analyze and say, aha, this is good for you, Ryan. You need to have an aha moment. You go, aha, look at me. And, and this is the wonderful thing. These stories are told by the disciples about the disciples, and they don't make themselves to be heroes, and you don't need to be a hero either. And they understood it, and they experienced it, and they went and slogged through it. And the reason they recorded it is because they know 2,000 years later, they don't know this, but this is what happens 2,000 years later, there's a community of Christians living in San Francisco who walk around like they've got short-term memory loss when it comes to all that Jesus is doing all the time. Okay. Think about your thinking. Think about your doubt and challenge it now. Oh, this, by the way, my brothers and sisters, this is why I encourage you to faithful church attendance. And it's not for my own benefit. It is because that when those waves come and erase the writing, you need to come back to, to the word daily at times and and, and to the word preached, and to the sacrament, to what? Write it in again. That's just, uh, your brother, you're going to be walking with the Lord 20, 30 years from now by his grace. I've walked, over a long period of time, I've walked for the, I walk with the Lord now for 42 years. You need to get into cycles that put it back in, that put it back on, that eat back in, that come back to hear about what? A timeless, endless, eternal compassion dressed in power. Yeah, again, that's what the table is. That's what the cross is. All right, I encourage you about that. Do not neglect the assembly of together. 
learn that daily Bible study and devotional and private time is not a duty. It's not, just, not like just a duty. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's this wonderful necessity you have to, to redirect constantly back and to remember. Uh, keep a journal. And I'll, by the way, journals are very powerful this way. Uh, the, and, and the Bible's full of journals. Yeah, there's poetry journals in the Bible. Psalm 103 becomes one of them. There's, and what they do is they just record everything. There. You know, do we remember that we, we pay nothing to, 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 to meet here and have for the last over a year now? Do you remember how, how God, uh, how, or do you remember, do you see how God has provided Peter and Adele as he moved uh, Nick on in ministry to another church? Have we remembered? Have we seen? Do we remember? Do we recall? Do we remember? Do you recall? And journaling can be extraordinarily powerful. I love going back to journals from years before for a couple reasons. I, I, I see again, this is from like journals from 15 years ago. I see again that uh, God provided before. And I see again that 15 years ago, I was about as spiritually blind and stupid as I am now. It's amazing. Wow, I'm still complaining about the same things. It's the same sort of frustrations. Don't be discouraged. Two, don't handle. You cannot handle Jesus. Now, uh, he says, uh, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, they had just, just tested him. And, they, and the Pharisees would have known full well that to test God is sin. In other words, to put God to say, hey, hey, and testing God is not merely like, there's a, there's a way you can, as a person of faith, uh, look to God to show you his will. This is different than that. It's like, prove you love me. Prove it. Prove you love me. Prove it. And it, it's, it's, it comes from a heart of unbelief. It's like challenging God. And they know that, but they don't think Jesus has anything to do with God. So they're not worried about it. They don't care. And they ask for a sign from heaven because they, 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 they want proofs. And, but you notice that their proofs, they, they, they don't want to be there when he's feeding the 5,000, he already has proofs here. He doesn't have any proof from heaven. They've had a proof in the hands of people all around them. It doesn't matter because they don't really want proof. They want a reason to hate him. But I noticed something. There's a similarity here between them and the disciples. And Christ, that's why Christ is warning the disciples, by the way. That's why he's warning them. Because he knows that they have the same problem. And that is the Pharisees and, these, and, the, and Peter does it right after he says Jesus is the Christ. What does he do? I got, I got some words for you, Jesus. You've got, you've got an attitude problem. You do not have a, the prosperity gospel that I know you really want to preach. Something that happens here. Peter wants to take Jesus in hand. The Pharisees want to take him in hand. That's spiritual blindness. God is the one tiger you can't grab by the tail without getting bitten. God cannot be handled. He can't be handled, manipulated, or somehow made to prove your agendas. He, can't, he will not stand in line to honor your doubts, even. Some of you are skeptics. Like, I want, I'd like to see God prove things to me. And I'm going to tell you that the Bible, the Bible and the Jesus that comes to be proclaimed to you says, you know what? No, thank you. 
I don't come at the behest of men. I am, the, I am eternal compassion dressed in absolute eternal power. I do not, and there's a majesty here. Do you, do you hear it? Do you see it? He's dealing with their blindness. He's frustrated. They don't understand. They don't perceive. He's literally creating something out of nothing. He's doing the, the amazing creative works in his healing and his provision. And Peter wants to tell him how to do ministry. And the Pharisees want to argue with him about purification rites. You can't handle God. What's my point here? I, I don't know if I'm making it clearly enough. Um, you can't manipulate or bargain with God. You can't. All right, so does anybody know what Jesus does when people set up a table to do business with him? Does anybody remember? We all like to set up tables to do business with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I, here's a table. I want to meet with you. Here's what I want. Here's the romance. Here's the life. Here's the, the money. Here's the, here's, here's, the, here's the things I want. Can, can you come here and do business with me? Does anybody remember what Jesus does with tables in the temple? He flips negotiation tables. He always has and always will. He does not come to truck with us about what we will do or not do or what we think the gospel should look like. or what it, you know, He doesn't do it. This is what's so astounding. Uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you, look at, look at how unequivocal Christ is. Unequivocal he is. Uh, somebody told me this, this week that somebody, uh, some, some perverse church was, was congratulating the, uh, the murders in Orlando. Somebody told me about this, got me really upset. You know, that, that why were we grieving, you know, that, because it was a gay nightclub. And, uh, you know, besides just making me really angry and everything like that, you can tell I, I tend to emotionally respond to things. Uh, Christ talks about this in particular. Uh, he talks about there was, a, there was a wall that had fallen and killed a bunch of people. It happened when he was, uh, a wall, it's called Wall and Salome. You know what he said? Do you think that those men were more wicked than everybody else? Do you think that those 50 people in Orlando were more evil than everybody else in Orlando? Are you kidding? Christ does never, never bargains with us as if we have any righteousness at stake, any ability. Get rid of spiritual blindness. We, we, the only thing you should wonder about Orlando is why it didn't happen this morning here. I'm serious. We deserve the same thing. If God's judgment begins with the house of God, it belongs to us to be judged. Why has he been merciful? That's the great question. Why has he been merciful? Why has he continued to show mercy to me and to you? Why? Why? And that's where you get back to what? The inbreaking of a compassion dressed with eternal power. And I love this. I just love this so much that Will refuses to answer to Cole for how it behaves, but will give him eternal life and forgive his sin. I want to restore the preaching of the word, and I want to restore it when we were coming to these gospels and the way Christ walks and the way he talks with authority. Restore us to get rid of the spiritual blindness that doesn't perceive him in his majesty and stops trying to control him like he's a pet. He is not a pet God, and he never will be. Finally, trust his heart with your heart. 
And this is working about spiritual blindness. A lot of spiritual blindness is not, not mental, it's moral. A lot of spiritual blindness is not mental or intellectual. It's not a refusal or a rejection about evidences. It's a refusal and a rejection of, moral, your, of your desire to do what you want to do and your agendas and your desires. Trust, your, trust God's heart for a new heart and with your heart and your desires to give you new desires and to do something with you. You know, I, um, I hear in Peter his rejection of Christ's prophetic describing he's going to die. I hear Peter saying, you know, that's not what I want. And he, like almost like a suspicion, you know. Wait a second. Wait a second. I signed up to be an apostle. I didn't sign up for somebody who loses. Um, my, my, my closest friend in Atlanta, Curtis, um, his wife, he, he came to Christ in the ministry there. And uh, his wife had grown up a Christian. And uh, she had asked for prayer for him because he had, uh, for some, it was something to do with work. His work was really difficult. And um, I prayed on Sunday morning. But this is what I prayed. I don't know why I prayed it. I said, God, would you give Curtis patience? I don't know why I prayed it. Even. I just, one of the things I prayed. She came up to me afterwards, dead serious, too. I can't believe you paid for, prayed for patience. Do you know what that means? Do you know how many bad things could happen because you prayed for that? When, you, when God answers prayers to give people patience, he often destroys their lives. And I was like, what? whoa, whoa, whoa. And I thought, well, you know, maybe that would be, I, I thought she was kind of kidding. She wasn't kidding. In the end, and have you ever done this? You treat, you treat God like he's the genie in the lamp? You ever seen Bedazzled? Like, uh, like he's a genie in a lamp, or you're, or you're going to make a bargain with God, but make sure you ask for the right kind of wife. Because if you don't ask for the right kind of wife, he might give you a different one. <laughs> or he might give you exactly what you've asked for. Or he might, you know, or, you know and as if somehow we've got to somehow game this whole thing be, and, and not merely trust his heart with our hearts and our lives and our marriages, and our dreams, and our bodies, and our careers, and uh, to trust his motives. Because his motives spring out of eternal love. God has never set out to trick you, only to love you. I, uh, this fine, the final analysis, this is that spiritual blindness, that, that, is afraid and comes from fear. Somehow you're going to lose out if you really trust God. That is a lie, and it smells like smoke. It comes from hell. There's nothing that you can miss out in, in this kind of eternal compassion dressed in omnipotent power. It's not possible. If it is possible that you or I could miss out on anything that God had wanted for us, then my religion doesn't make sense and God, Christ is not God. 
if there's possible, and I, look, if you, some of you know me. You know I am facing ruin in my life like I've never known before. Things have been very, very hard. doesn't matter. I am not permitted to believe, and I must trust, and I must give up spiritual blindness even, any spiritual blindness that would lead me away and lead me astray and lead me away from the feet of my Savior. I need to stand with the Syrophoenician woman from outside, if I must, with nothing in my hands and say, give me what's left over then, but give me your love, and I trust you completely, and I surrender utterly and I, my, my motives be darned, and my life be g- given up, and whatever it is I, I thought I understood, and my theology, if need be, let my theology be put on the, on the altar, that I may know this Christ, and know him fully, and be fully known. I want him, I want him, I want him known, and I want to give up spiritual blindness. All of this blindness that is keeping us from worship, love, joy, peace, and forgiveness and in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, it is your business that we've come to do. It's not our business even. It is your business that you did. It's your business that it was your business, this table. It was your work. And uh, we've come. We, we, you know, it's funny. We're not allowed to set up tables to do business with you, but you set up a table to do business with us. And on it, you put your son. And all the provision for sinners, for those who are ruined, for those who need eternal life, for those who need salvation and rescue, for those who need to be fed, for those who who just need healing. Heal, Heal not only our church of spiritual blindness by revealing the beauty and power and compassion of your son, but heal the blindness of San Francisco and of this generation. For we have asked in Christ's name, amen. On the night, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he, and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood, the cup of the covenant, this is my bloodshed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink. So often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Yes, Mark, you're not allowed to prepare a table for God to do business with him because he has made a table here to do business with you. And his business is forgiving, his eternal compassion made powerful and real in the cross. That's why this joy, this table, it's, it's an antidote to forgetfulness, right? It's an antidote to self-salvation. It's an antidote to, uh, it's an antidote to spiritual blindness and corruption. So, I, got, I invite you. Now, if you know this Jesus, if you know this Jesus, if he is your Jesus, and you can assent to the Apostles' Creed that we're going to read together, then I invite you to this table. I know we have guests here. You're, you're welcome to the table if you know Christ and proclaim him as Savior and Lord. But I want to warn, I want to warn two, two groups. Well, well the, the first is not a warning. The, the first one is, if you're a skeptic today, and you know that you really don't believe in these things, then I, I ask you to watch. Watch and see. Watch critically. Engage critically. 
and that perhaps someday you will also be convicted, convinced, and encouraged to come. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen with joy. But there's a third group. There is, there is a spiritually blind group I want to address, though, as I address every week. And that is if you think that you're a good man, Trevor, or if you think you're a good woman, Sarah, and that's why you come to this table, you know the answer. Anybody who thinks they're a good person is blind. Is spiritually blind. And doesn't know Jesus. So I always want to forbid, I always want to, I always want to put up a gate, a barrier, a wall, an obstacle to anybody who thinks they're a good person. <laughs> this is a table for sinners, and this is a savior for sinners. And when you know that's who you are, the blinders are coming off. Aren't they? The blinders are coming off. Okay. So we're going to enter a, point, a, a time of organized chaos. We're going to sing for our communion, and well, we have communion today as well, which I'm excited about. And so um, we have uh, grape juice in the middle here. Uh, in the middle is grape juice for those who prefer it, and wine on either side. Uh, we're going to take the bread and wine back to our seats and eat it all together after, we sit, after we're done with the song. And uh, so as I, as I, uh, um, as we strike the creed, I'm going to take communion to you both right now. And this is logistically all a little bit new here. So uh, I'm going to do that. Actually, I'm going to have you do that, McLaren. And then, um, and, and so let's stand. Take them communion then as we, as we, as we, I ask you, Christian, what do you, what, tell me what you believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.